Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this, the third episode on Greek wine, in which I interview Dimitri Grevenitis, we talk about two of the most important black grape varieties, Ayogitiko and Cassinimavro. Let's start with Ayogitiko. Ayogitiko is planted um, in the Appalachian of Nemea in the Peloponnese, actually right next door to Montania. I consider them sister Appalachians, if you will. It's the largest PDO. It's quite massive. And Ayogitiko has been a grape that I've had a problem with, actually. I tend to refer to it as a kind of Malbec of Greece, <laughs> if you want. And I, I mean that in the pejorative. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to say anything good about Ayurgitiko in that way. But I'm going to come full circle on this, so don't, so don't feel I'm, I'm totally throwing it under the bus. I think Ayurgitiko is a great example of a native variety that they just didn't know what to do with, and coming into the 90s, the decision was made was made uh, to let's just make big wines out of it. You know, let's just go for full extraction, longer macerations, but also like a lot of punch downs. And a lot of the wines coming out of Nemea for a good long bit now have been black wine, not red wine, <laughs> you know, over oaked typically. I think that w- the, the charm that the variety has to offer is really kind of covered in that sense. And it becomes a wine that, um, I mean, if you taste um, like a, let's call it a modern version of uh, Nemea made of the Ayurgitiko grape, Nemea being the Appalachian, Ayurgitiko being the grape. I don't know that you could taste it and say, this is a Greek wine. Like, I don't know that it has a typicity, right? And I think the typicity becomes one of, of oak and extraction, unfortunately, and supple tannins. But having said that, there are some outliers, and those outliers really show you the possibility of Ayurgitiko. There's a particular producer, I don't work with them, so I'm, I'm not uh, pitching you know wine here, named Parparusis, who's uh, not even in the Appalachian. He is on the western side of the Peloponnese, but makes a, a Nemea reserve from a particular village, not particularly high elevation, but I think it's around 600 meters elevation. The Nemea Appalachian runs from around 300 meters in the valley up until almost 1,000 meters at its highest peaks. But he does, he kind of does long, like 30, 40 day macerations without any punch downs. And so the color kind of bleeds back into the skins, you know, at a certain point. And you get these like wonderful Burgundian quality wines out of his Nemeas. And lo and behold, something, a varietal that, again, this, these are my preferences, you know. I will say that with the, the caveat that my my preferences seem to be where the preferences of, of your average wine director, you know, of, of of a serious enough list, right? Or a good retailer. And so you, you get these kind of mushroomy quality, Gundian notes, forest floor. And I, I think that for the longest time, that was the most compelling Nemea that, that was on the market. And I have various bottles and vintages of it in my own cellar that I enjoy. And so there's two ways of getting to that, I think. You know, you can either macerate a long time and pull the color back out, or you can macerate a shorter period of time and go for a lighter, fresher version of it, perhaps, but still not beat the wine up. There's a producer making, uh, I, I just had an, like an experimental bottling of it, um, a sample sent to me. Just 
beautiful aromatics and really floral and um, beguiling, really. And it, ma- it makes me believe in, in the grape again, or for maybe for the first time uh, outside of the, that outlier of Barbarossus. So I think wonderful things are possible. I would argue that, that the, the, the Appalachian, that they've just gotten it wrong. And I know that, who am I to say that? But uh, it's, it's uh, well, I, I am who I am. <laughs> and, I, and that's what I have to say about it, you know. Yeah. How important is elevation? In an Appalachian like Nemea. It's very important. It's very important. The d- dineural shift is huge um, in Appalachians like Nemea and Montania. And so um, you'll get, in, in Fahrenheit, you'll get 20, 25 degree switches from midday to, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. And it really helps keep the freshness in the fruit. And the valley floors, uh, well, M- Montania itself is a plateau. So it's a high plateau. You're not going to get much variation and the dineural shift is there whether you want it or not but in Nemea it's certainly less on the on the valley floor and you get heavier clay-based soils and then as you move up in elevation you're into more limestone outcroppings and more of a breeze during the day and certainly a, a bigger shift in temperature at night so I think it's a it's a huge part uh, especially with global warming as well the best versions of Nemea seem to come from above that kind of 500 meter range up to a thousand meters. I think that's the, the the sweet spot for it. And is that generally true of Greece? Mainland Greece elevation is is key to quality. Um, it depends. I mean, Santorini doesn't have great elevations, but some of the best wines, of, or arguably the best wines of Greece, come from Santorini. So I think it's specific to variety and soil type, but if you want to speak in broader generalities, uh, I mean, Greece is, it's a coastal country. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's just surrounded by coast, right? And, um, but it's the opposite of, say, something like Florida, which is to say, it's a state that has a long coast, but it's flat. And so if you're on a beach in Florida and you're swimming, uh, if you're in the water and you're swimming towards the beach, um, your eye just kind of catches a, a, a horizon, a flat horizon. That's not the case in Greece. If you're in the water and you're swimming towards the beach, nine times out of 10, you're looking at a mountain in front of you. And cultivation being what cultivation is, you know, going back thousands of years, even though it was more difficult to cultivate grapes at higher elevations, it was obvious that you were going to get better grapes at higher elevations. So all uh, the vast majority of the, of the uh, Appalachians of origin are at higher elevations. Nemea, Mantinea, the kind of birthplace of Roditis and Aelia is some of the highest elevations. Epiros, uh, the highlands of Macedonia, you're, you know, you're in high elevations. The uh, aforementioned Robola of Kefalonia, you're six to 900 meters in elevation there. So, um, uh, you know, the appellation of Sitia in Crete, is 650 meters it's a high plateau in crete so yeah generally you're you're up there and that's what gives it's what helps give greek wines um their characteristics a lot of people uh come to uh greek red wine thinking it's southern uh, european it's a mediterranean wine and so you're going to get uh, a massive wine that's not true most red wines coming out of 
out of Greece are, I would say, medium bodied with moderate to high acidity. Think of um, it, some corollaries might be Etna in Italy, you know, where you've got, you know, lighter body wines than, than you would think or, or um, Vittoria, like with Frappato, for instance, where you get that crunchy acidity and those light, lighter notes. So I think reds are, are uh, underappreciated, uh, but there's a lot of quality there. Uh, people m mostly asso associate Greece with white wines. But that's just not the case when you look at the varietal breakdowns and the total production. Greece makes a good bit of, of red wine. Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm looking at, looking at a map of Greece, and it really is a big country and quite a diverse country, as, as you've been describing, just from the continental Greece to the uh, peninsula and then all these islands as well. And wine is made all over. So I guess to generalize about Greek wine is very difficult, but that's what makes it exciting and intriguing. So let's talk about another um, great variety, which I've never been sure how to pronounce correctly, even though it's really important, but Xenomavro. 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 Like a K-S. Xenomavro, yeah. Xenomavro. Which literally translates to, Xenom means acidic or acid, and Mavro is black. Um, so you'll find either as a prefix or a suffix, Mavro in, in a great amount of Greek varietals, or Aspro, which is white. And so that's what those uh, words mean. Xenomavro is a, just a world beater uh, variety. It's absolutely fantastic. It's from the mainland in northern Greece, predominantly in Macedonia, though one of its PDOs is also in Thessaly. And in, uh, Rapsani is the name of the PDO, and it, it borders southern Macedonia. And uh, certainly, I think it's a dead ringer for Nebbiolo. Um, and depending on which of the appellations you're in, um, they have their own individual characteristics because the soil types vary. There are four uh, PDOs for Xenomavro or, or Xenomavro-based wines, three of which are in Macedonia and one is in Thessaly. The soil types vary. And there's, I would argue there's actually a fifth appellation that it's just a PGI called Siatista, but it should be a PDO because having walked the vineyards there and seeing what's going on, I mean, it absolutely uh, warrants it. So these things are always changing. Uh, PDOs are being added all the time. So we'll see where that goes. Xenomavro makes, you know, light to medium bodies, high tannin. That's the issue with Xenomavro is tannin management and how you're going to do that as a winemaker and how effective you are with that. The characteristics, the fruit characteristics are ones of uh, berries and cherries. Um, it has a sort of tomato quality to it. Some people say tomato paste. I find that a, an absolutely terrible way to sell wine. So when I talk about it, I say heirloom tomato. Doesn't that just sound so much better when you're pitching a wine? <laughs> heirloom tomato. Uh, but if you've ever grown your own tomatoes and you, you know, touch a tomato leaf and put it uh, your fingers to your nose. It's absolutely the aromatic profile of, of Xenomavro, which can be accentuated or decentuated uh, depending on the, um, on the terroir. And it has a sort of kind of tobacco quality as well. Uh, it's, it's an amazing varietal, very, very dynamic and wonderful things are being done. The Appalachians, uh, Nausa, I think is probably the most famous. That's an appellation for hundred percent Xenomavro. They have varying soil types there, but predominantly clay. Most of Macedonia is clay. 
the Nausa appellation, I think, is what mimics perhaps, you know, Barolo, Barolo slash Barbaresco, depending on the producer and how they vinify the most. And there's some great stuff coming out of there. There's another PDO to the north of that, quite close, called the Humenisa, which is the smallest of the PDOs for Xenomovro. And that's Xenomovro based, but there's a 20%, minimum 20% mandated blending of uh, another varietal called Nagoska. Quite honestly, Nagoska and, and Xenomovro, having tasted them uh, by themselves, I don't know that there's a huge variation between the profiles of, of the grapes. So for all intents and purposes, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's just kind of like a Xenomovro wine. And they tend to be a little a little bigger there in Gomenisa, still this, roughly the same soil types. In Amidion, which is further northeast, and you're uh, at higher elevations there, those are sandy soils. And so Xenolavro begins to lose its Nebbiolo quality in that area and starts to pick up a, a sort of Pinot quality, kind of moves over in the dial, you know, in the, in the spectrum and starts kind of becoming this interesting blend of of Pinot and Xenomovro. And then in Rapsani, uh, which is mandated blend of Xenomovro and two other varietals, Crasato and Stavoto, those soil types are clay, depending on which elevation, clay and lower elevations and more schist soils. It's on the, the side of Mount Olympus, the famous Mount Olympus. Um, and so you get some in, kind of sh- a schisty quality to the wines that I think is really uh, interesting as well. And then that fifth appellation, the non-PDO, should be PDO appellation, called Siatista. That's all limestone, just like the Robola appellation in Kefalonia. It's limestone scree, just limestone. And that is amazing. The, the Xenomovro comes out more like Pinot there as well, like, like in the sand soils of Amidion, but has great depth of character and... Um, really long and silky tannin chains and um i think tannin management becomes less of a problem planted in in that limestone and it's just a, another face of of xenomovro yeah i didn't realize it's planted in so many appellations and so they have all these different um, representations of the great variety yeah i mean think of think of um think of piemonte like what if you know if you're in the lange if you're Alto Piemonte, if you're in Barolo and Barbaresco, those are different facets to Nebbiolo. It's the same concept, really. And just to summarize, uh, Greece has follows the EU appellation system. So you have the protected designation of origin and then the protected geographical indication. So the PDO will have stricter rules. Yeah, they were developed along the French model um, with the first appellations uh, starting in the beginning in the 1970s and then another sort of tranche towards the back end of the 70s. And then they've been revisited and updated and added to over the years, even up till quite recently. So you have to keep your eye on it if you're interested in the, if you're, if you're about to take a test on the, on the PDOs. So thank you again, Dionisi, for this overview of two of the major black varieties grown in Greece. In the next episode, we'll look at some of the um, more obscure ones. Thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.